Thank you for listening to the Modesto Foursquare podcast. We hope that this message encourages and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus. Please know that you can always join us every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock, 510 Bernie Street in Modesto. You can also find more information on our website at ModestoFoursquare.com. This morning wasn't worship good. It was really good. I had my message open here, and now it kicked me out. So give me a second. We're going to be in Luke 18. This morning, you can go ahead and turn there. We are starting a new series. It's going to take us for the next four, three to four weeks, and uh, it's right there. Are We Hungry is the, is the title of our series, and it's awful good to be back with you guys. I'm sorry that the air conditioner, we, we had it break this morning again, and Mark Oliver being our king of the air conditioning, came down and fixed it, and so it, it's a little warmer in here than we would anticipate. It took us a little longer to get it cool, but you can pray in tongues for air conditioning that it would continue to, to work. So we didn't have air conditioning that was very good at summer camp, so you guys can survive too, so all right? So it's good to be back with you guys. It was, my days were all messed up coming back from camp. It was like, I came back on Tuesday and it felt like a Friday and I'm like in a fog still. I'm glad that I wrote this before I left or otherwise it would have been a weird service this morning for you. But um, do you guys ever feel when you're like gone on a trip and you come back to church, it just feels like you're kind of coming back home, right? That it's where you're supposed to be. Isn't that what it should be, right? That we come back home, that we get to be with all these people that we love, and sometimes we fight with them too, and sometimes we argue with them, and sometimes they don't agree with us, right? But they're still our family. I was telling somebody, they were, they were saying, hey, can I pay you for my shirt? Um, you know, next, we're selling Modesto um, Foursquare shirts in the lobby. I said, hey, can we pay for a shirt next week? And I said, yeah, but if you don't pay, Diane Golden's going to come to your house, and she's going to kneecap you, okay? So she knows where you live. That's what family does. When you get out of line, they just take you right at the knees. So, all right. So this morning, we're starting a new series, like I said, calling, call, we're calling Are We Hungry? And we're going to be looking like, at what it looks like to, to go all in with Jesus, right? To really be all about it in this season of life, right? To not just live in what God did last week or last year or 10 years from now, right? We, and when you're in a church that is, we're coming up on almost 100 years of being in existence, right? There's a lot of really great stories from the past right? And those are amazing. I love God's faithfulness. I love that we have this charter up in, in the lobby. Our church is actually older than this that says 1932 or 1934, right? Isn't that amazing to be in a historic church? But we can't live in what God did yesterday, right? We have to live in what God is doing right now, right? We have to continue to be hungry for the Lord, whether we're two years old or 200 years old, right? God is still working in our lives, right? And so how do we as followers of Jesus press more deeply into the plans and purposes of God in this season, in this occasion, right where we're at, right? How do we lay aside what I call our comfortable Christianity, right, and pursue God with all of who we are, with all of what we have that costs us everything, right? I love that the speaker, he was a British guy at camp and he he didn't sugarcoat Christianity, right? You ever been to church where they say, hey, come to know Jesus and all your problems will, will, will go away and all of a sudden you'll have a million dollars in your bank account and all those types of things, right? He actually told the students, he said, if you follow Jesus, probably your life is actually gonna get harder, right? Because what God calls you to do sometimes can be a difficult thing, right? And so we're not talking about an easy Christianity because that doesn't exist, right? That's a very American idea, 
right? I come to church and all my problems are gone. That isn't how it works, right? Don't, if you read the Gospels or you read the New Testament, right, we've talked about multiple times that 11 of the 12 disciples who followed Jesus, who took the gospel to the whole world, 11 of the 12 were martyred for their faith. They were killed for their faith. Was that, does that sound like an easy Christianity, right? When we read the story of Jesus and the fact that he was hung on the cross, does that seem like an easy Christianity, right? Comfortable, air-conditioned church where everybody serves my needs and gives me everything I want, right? And all the programs I want are there, right? We want to set that aside, and we want to, we want to have this all-in walk with Jesus. I was reminded of two passages. My heart for this series is rooted in these. In Ruth chapter 1, verse 16. <clears throat> I love the book of Ruth. We'll study this together at some point. It's one of my favorite books in the Old Testament. It says, where you go, where you go, I will, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God, right? And then I'm reminded of Isaiah 6, where Isaiah says to the Lord, here I am, send me, right? These two Old Testament giants of the faith express to us in different language a trust in God that is complete and it is costly, right? It's costly to follow Jesus, right? They were willing to throw aside their comfort to passionately pursue the heart of their Lord, right? They didn't pick, right? Scripture talks about the narrow road, right? They didn't pick the broad road, right, that leads to destruction. They picked the harder, narrow road that led to life in Jesus, life in Christ, life in God, right? And so they were, they were, uh, they were going to throw those things aside. And I've been around church most of my life, <clears throat> and I've seen a lot of versions of what it looks like to follow Jesus. Anybody ever seen multiple versions of Christianity, right? Some of these versions are godly and biblical, and some of these versions are not, Right? So, like I said, this kind of costly versus non-costly Christianity. And, and one that I see, or, or several that I see in church, and I, you know, like I said, I've grown up, I've, I've been to a lot of churches in my life, I've spoken at a lot of churches in my life, have these kind of questions, right? I would say these are the ungodly versions of Christianity. What am I going to get out of church, right? What is God or church doing for me, Right? I'm not getting fed. Everybody, anybody ever heard that one before? I can't go to that church anymore because that pastor's not feeding me, right? What programs does the church have to meet my needs? How can the church serve me, right? Anyone ever heard somebody say these things before? Any, anybody ever felt this way before? That's okay. We're, we're a confessional all together this morning, right? This is a safe place for a little godly confrontation. This is what these next four weeks are going to be. A little bit of godly confrontation for all of us, for myself as I'm studying and preparing. But I would say this is not the Christianity that God calls us to. This is a me version. What do I get? What is God going to give me? What is the church going to give me? This is an American version of Christianity. That's all about, not about Jesus, but about me. What do I get? What do I get out of this? You ever heard that before? Well, what do I get out of this deal, right? What's it going to get me? What's it going to gain me, right? It's an I'm willing to be a follower of Jesus or a part of the church as long as it doesn't really cost me too much, right? 
And we've all been around people like that. It doesn't make them bad, right? We're not saying, we're not beating anybody over the head or anything like that, but just challenging our, our way of thinking, right? That it's not about me, it's about the Lord, right? This is not a one foot in and one foot out Christianity. He's not calling us to a selfish faith. He calls us to more. He calls us to a selfless, cost-everything Christianity, right? I mean, you even look at how Jesus called some of the disciples, right? Leave your nets, leave your families, leave your jobs that you've always known, leave everything and follow me, right? Remember the person who says, well, let me go bury the dead before I, before I follow you. And he says, let the dead bury the dead. There's stuff to do, right? And this isn't a mean thing, right? There's, I'm not going to go into the context of that, but it's God is calling us to give up everything to follow him, right? And we've gotten comfortable. We've gotten comfortable in our air-conditioned churches with things that serve everything, right? There's, there's, a, there's a small group for everything under the sun and, you know, all these things. The church is going to raise my kids and all these different things that we've grown accustomed to, Right? When really in the, in the New Testament, what church looked like was you were sitting in someone's living room and honestly, they were convincing you not to become a Christian. They were convincing you it's really, really hard to follow Jesus, but it's also really, really great. And they would only take people who were very serious about it, right? And so this is what God is calling us to, a selfless and a cost everything Christianity. Let's look at Luke 18 together. In verses 18 through 30. Everybody's really quiet this morning. It's okay to throw in an amen or, or so, or, or a boo. That's, that'd be fine too, so. <clears throat> Just don't throw any tomatoes at me, okay? This is a new shirt, so. All right, starting in verse 18. A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, shall not steal, shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother. All of these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. Jesus heard this and said to him, you still lack one thing, sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. What would that even look like, church? Than someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this said, Then who can be saved? Jesus replied, What is impossible with man is possible with God. Peter said to him, We have all left all we have to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, No one who has left home or wife or brother or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come, age to come eternal life. So we find Jesus in this passage talking to this rich young ruler, struggling with the cost of following the Lord. He comes to, to Jesus and says to him, a certain ruler asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? But he does not just say that to the teacher, right? He speaks of how holy he was, right? All the things he had done since his youth. The ruler had followed all of the commandments, right? We know that's not true. Nobody's followed all the commandments perfectly, right? I've done it all right. And Jesus says to him, really? 
You have. Really. Right? The heart of this young ruler is, is really, Jesus, I've been pretty good. Does anyone ever feel like they've been pretty good before? And then you realize you haven't been very good, right? Sometimes we can get that. When we settle into our comfortable Christianity, we begin to just say, well, I've been pretty good because I'm not quite as bad as that guy over there, right? I'm, I'm, I'm okay because I don't sin quite as much as that person over there, right? Basically, he's asking the teacher, how do I earn my salvation, right? How do I earn it, right? The Ten Commandments really are about earning it. Do this, do this, do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that, right? And we see Jesus instead pointing this young man back to what truth is. He's talking to him about what does it look like to be hungry. Jesus is asking him for more, right? For more. Jesus is asking all of us for more, right? He wants to take us deeper, right? Scripture talks about our roots growing down deep in who God is, right? He's always asking us for more. He's always taking us to the next stage. He's never allowing us to remain the same right? God is constantly working in us. And in the same story in the book of Mark, it shows, it speaks of how Jesus turns to this man. And it says that he looked on him with love, right? This isn't, again, this isn't like a slap the hand, beat you over the head with a real thick Bible situation. He looks at him with love. And in verse 22 says, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. And so he asks this young ruler, will you give up everything to follow me? Because that's what it costs. Are you willing to be uncomfortable to follow Jesus? He points him back to the two greatest commandments, right, that we find in the book of Matthew, chapter 22. He says, you need to love the Lord your God, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? And you need to love your neighbor as yourself, right? He doesn't point him back to the Ten Commandments. He doesn't point him back to the book of Leviticus where it tells you all these things you should eat or not eat or wear or don't wear, all those things. He points him back to relationship. This is actually called the first table of the law or just the first law. This is the law that supersedes all of the other laws, right? Covers over all other things, Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. He wasn't challenged to follow more rules. He wasn't told to do more religious activities. Hey, you know you want to follow Jesus? Just go to church on Wednesdays, right? Go, go serve in the nursery to follow Jesus more. And those aren't bad things. I'm not saying that. But he wasn't called to do more things for God. He was called to lean into relationship, right? That's what our Christianity is based on. It's based on relationship with God and relationship with his people. God is a relational God. Love God by surrendering all you have at his feet. And love the least of these by giving all you have to the poor, right? The challenge was to love God more than money. Really, this is a calling to love and pursue the Lord more than anything, right? To set aside everything else that was in the way and just say, God, I'm going to come after you. The problem really wasn't money at all, right? God doesn't call us to poverty. I don't, I don't know if you believe that. God doesn't call anyone to poverty, not even pastors to poverty. I know. It's like an eye-opening thing. 
He doesn't call us to poverty. Right? It's not about the money. It's really about idols. And for this man, the thing in the way of him and God was his money. That was the thing that took its place of God in his life, was his bank account, right? And so Jesus says to him in his idolatry, he says, will you love me and serve me more than your money, right? It's really idolatry. It's just what holds us back from more fully entering the presence and plans of Jesus, right? Maybe ours isn't money. Maybe ours is something else, right? This man, like our culture, he had everything. He had everything. He had riches. He had position. He had fame. He had all these things, but he didn't have the one thing that really mattered, right? You ever been around somebody who's got a lot, but is miserable as all get out? Or they live in a big house, or they have real nice things, or they have a really great job, or they, whatever it is. And what you want to do is you want to grab them by the face and shake them and say, none of those things will satisfy you. Because you have everything, but you have nothing, right? Without Jesus. I love what Pastor David Gizek says. He says, one might say that this man had climbed to the top of the ladder of success only to find his ladder leaned against the wrong building. This man, like many around us, was rich, but misguided and empty. You ever had that point in your life where you realized you built the wrong thing in the wrong place? And God had to tell you, hey, I wasn't what I ever called you to do. Go over there and do something different, right? His idol was wealth, but many of us have other idols. His obstacle was riches, but our obstacles may be, and I have three different obstacles here for us. First one is distractions. Ever get distracted? I get distracted super easily. Sometimes I'm driving down the road and I'm like looking at something or like see a billboard or whatever, and Cassie's like, oh, get out of the, you know, she tells me to swerve over. That probably never happens to you guys, but. Distractions could be political noise, right? What people are saying on Facebook about this and that. Could be endless activities. Do you know that sometimes God just wants you to sit down and shut up and just sit with Him? Am I allowed to say that? I said sucks the other weekend, and somebody told me I wasn't allowed to say that either, so. (laughs) Doing more things for God doesn't always get you closer to Jesus. Sitting with Jesus and allowing him to speak to you, that's what gets you closer to Jesus. Some of us are so busy with endless activities that we make no room for God. We think we're serving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we're not. We're just doing a bunch of stuff, right? Right? I love, Martin was joking with me. He's probably going to be embarrassed I say this, but he said, I'm sorry I wasn't here last weekend, but pastor, you told me I need to go take Sabbath. So I did. I, I, took, a, I took a Sunday off. And I was like, that's awesome. Yes. That's awesome. Our distractions, they could be gossip, right? Oh man, I need that next tasty morsel of gossip, right? That's what scripture talks about gossip being. Right? We just want to open our ears and hear all the stuff that everybody's going on in their lives. Again, so that we can say, well, I'm pretty good. I'm not as bad as that person over there, right? That's really at the heart of gossip. Could even be family drama. Anybody ever have family drama? I don't, ever. Never have family drama. But distractions cause us to take our eyes off Jesus and to put them on someone else or something else, right? And God wants your vision. If the enemy can blur your vision, you're done. You're done. It's like walking around in, in, in a dark room with the lights off, right? 
and you trip over stuff. I have little kids, so I step on all their toys and stuff, and they get, you know, hurt my feet and stuff. It's like, if the enemy can get our vision, he can, he can get us. We've got to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. What are the distractions in our lives that keep us from passionately pursuing God with all of who we are? What are we allowing to get us off our game, right? It's really what it is. It's one of the reasons I go off social media so often because I just hate it so much. Because there's so many stinking distractions on there. People are just saying a lot of really stupid things on there, to be honest with you. And I get on there and I start to feel more depressed the more I scroll through. Not because I'm comparing my life to somebody else's, just because it's just filled with garbage, to be honest with you. This person's fighting with that person and that person's fighting with that person and that person's got a video that they think is better than that other person's video. It's like, sometimes I just need to, I want to burn the whole thing to the ground, right? So distractions, obstacles, number two. Life is hard at times, church, right? We talked about how God doesn't call us to an easy Christianity. There are hard things in this life, Right? People die, right? Sometimes we don't have enough money. Sometimes our bodies don't work the way they're supposed to. Sometimes I come to church and somebody offends me, right? There is death and pain and sickness and disappointments. Sometimes people let me down, right? There are obstacles in this life. There is agony that all of us feel, right? We all have things that we go through. That's normal, right? Jesus had things that he went through, right? There were moments when Jesus faced agony. Don't you think being on the cross was a little bit of agony? You don't think that having one of your best friends betray you was agony? You don't think that one of your other best friends saying he never knew you was, was an agony for your soul? You don't think that when you came back to life, and your other friend Thomas said, I won't believe until I see the hands, the scars on your hands and feet. You don't think that that was painful for Jesus, right? We all encounter difficult things. This life is hard at times, right? We all have hard things, and it can be overwhelming. It can make us angry. It can make us calloused to Jesus, right? Well, Jesus didn't do something in this moment, so he's never going to do something ever again, right? We become calloused can make us hate, can make us lash out at other people, right? Can poison us. Pain can poison us, church, if we don't let God work in our lives, if we don't let God restore us. Because then we all, all we look for in this life is the next point of pain, right? We just go from, instead of one point of joy to another point of joy, we just go from one point of pain to another. And we just expect everyone's gonna come after us and get us, Right? So where do we need to lean into the love of goodness of the Lord and allow him to heal us, right? To restore us, to begin this process of what it looks like to deal with the things in our life. Church, we can't just stuff all of our junk way down deep and never expect it to come out. It's going to. We have to let God, I call it open heart. We gotta let God cut us open and do his open heart surgery in us right? To cut out those cancerous parts of our lives that are going to destroy us, right? I'm sure that many of us have done those things in our lives. We've had those moments. and We've had to have God, and it's painful sometimes because God goes in there and he, he you know, uh, Kevin was telling me, Sweat, he's over there. 
He said, when you go to the hospital, all they care about is the one thing you're sick with, right? They don't care about all the other things you're sick with. Well, when God gets in and does open heart surgery, he cares about all of it. He's going to start cutting out stuff you didn't even think was in there, right? He's just going to start like, you know, we've got to deal with that, we've got to deal with that, right? But it's good at the end of it. We don't let those things poison our soul. We allow God to bring his healing and restoration in us. And I wish it was this speedy thing, right? At camp, they, the, the pastor, he actually took a microwave on the stage and he smashed it with a sledgehammer. Because he said in Christianity, what we want is we, we want it right now. We want to put it in the microwave and we want to cook it for 30 seconds and we want to say, I'm all healed and all better. And that's not how God works. Again, that is American Christianity, not Jesus Christianity, right? So we have to smash the microwave in our lives and let God do the deep work. And the deep work, it takes time, right? For God to work through those obstacles. The third thing is discouragement. Everybody, anybody ever been discouraged before? Ephesians six twelve says, we do not battle against flesh and blood, but against a very real enemy of our souls who hates our guts, right? Where has the evil of this world allowed us to lose sight of Jesus, right? One of the things I came back with from camp was, all I hear, especially on social media, is how this generation doesn't care about Jesus, right? All I hear is young people don't care about church. They don't want to do all any of those things. You know, they're, they're all just off doing whatever they want to do. And that could not be a greater lie from the hell, pit of hell. Because what I saw was 486 kids with reckless abandon going after Jesus. And they didn't care what anyone else said about them. They were on the, on the ground with their face before the Lord, seeking after God. Even if a fraction of those kids decided they wanted to follow Jesus for the rest of their life, the world could be changed. I was one of those kids, 14 years old, that although Grant got called to ministry, right? That's a lie that the enemy has thrown at us, that it's getting too dark. It's too far gone for God to do anything, right? And you realize that's a lie from the pit of hell. And we've believed it. We've taken it hook, line, and sinker. It's going to be so bad. Let's just go hide in our little cave with our little prayer closet, and let's just run away from everything that's hard. That's what the enemy tells us. And God tells us something different, right? He shows us things like 486 kids on their face before the Lord crying out for Jesus, right? Where have we allowed discouragement? We face a battle for the souls of mankind. We got to step up, church. We got to fight back, right? The enemy seeks to steal, kill, and destroy, Mark, uh, John 10 says, where do we need to step into our godly authority and fight back with the word of Jesus, right? The scriptures, they tell us the truth, but the world tells us a lie, right? Where do we need to step out in that? Where do we need to speak the scriptures over our kids or our grandkids, right? Where do we need to begin to pray that God would move in new and fresh ways? Where do we need to begin to pray that God would move in our city, right? Our, our county, our state, our nation that we've said, well, it's all gone. It's just gone, all gone to crap, right? Where do we need to turn our hearts from that and just say, I'm going to pray that God would move in a powerful way. And you know what happens? He does. He does. Because at some point, somebody thought we were too far gone. And now we're sitting in this room because somebody didn't give up on us, but prayed for us, right? Somebody prayed that God would rescue us from the pit, and he did right? 
Somebody didn't just go hide in their little room and say, I'm just going to hide away and wait until Jesus comes back. Right? The last one is idolatry. Money, stuff, careers, style, opinions, all those things can be idolatry. Where have we allowed people, ideas, or things to take the place of God in our life? Do we identify more as followers of Jesus or do we identify more as Republicans or Democrats? Do we identify more as followers of Jesus than we do, I'm a painter or I'm an electrician or I'm a plumber or I'm a... How do we identify our lives, right? What has taken its place of Jesus in our lives? What do we value more than God? These are idols, and our God, Scripture says, He is a jealous God. He, there's, only one, there's only room for one God in our life, right? Amen. This is not Hinduism, right? We don't get to have like a bajillion gods, okay? We get to have one. And I'm telling you, if you've got other ones, He's going to fight you for that spot in your life. He wants to be our one and only, right? When we go through difficult things, He doesn't want us to turn to our riches. He doesn't want us to turn to our understanding. He wants us to turn to Him, Right? In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, we're, we're getting ready to kind of come to a conclusion here. It is warm in here, right? You know you're excited when you're getting a little sweaty up here, so. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, or 5, 6, it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Do you believe that? Are we hungry for more of Jesus in our life? Are we willing to let go of our distractions, our obstacles, our discouragement, and our idols to passionately pursue the Lord? John 6, verses, verse 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Right? Do we believe that? Do we believe that satisfaction can be found in no other place but Jesus? He gives us life. He provides food and water for our souls. He brings us goodness. He is the bringer of all good things in our lives. Are we hungry for more of him? Philippians 3, verse uh, 7 through 11, Paul says, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Whatever, what is more, I consider everything lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through in faith in Christ Jesus, the righteous that comes from God, righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrections and the participation in his sufferings, right? We like that resurrection part. We like the suffering part a little less. Becoming like him in death and so somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead. I consider it all garbage, loss, nothing but to be found in Christ. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. To experience the power of his resurrection, we have to experience the power of his death, right? Isn't that the symbol of baptism? We go down in the water, into the grave with God, letting everything of our humanity, everything of our flesh die, and then we get raised to life in the resurrection of Jesus right? 
Luke 18. I love this little section, 29 and 30. Jesus says to them, I truly tell you, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in, in this age and in the age to come, eternal life. The blessing of following Jesus will cost us everything, but it will give us more, right? As we wrap up this morning, I want to leave us with a few questions to meditate on, and we're not going to have the worship team come back up. We actually have a video, a worship video we're going to show this morning so that we can all participate. Sometimes I feel like the worship team doesn't get to participate because they got to come up and lead the last song. Here's the questions. Where is God asking me for more? Where have we made our Christianity about us and not about Jesus? What is getting in the way of full surrender to him? What obstacles are you facing to pursue God more fully? I want you guys to think about those this morning and we're going to meditate on that and just put yourself in whatever posture. If you want to sit there and close your eyes and listen to the song, or if you want to come up front and kneel before the Lord, if you want to stand and worship, whatever you need to do to just get with Jesus, we're going to do that this morning. And I'm going to pray, and then Cassie will go ahead and play that song. And Jesus, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word that always calls us deeper, always calls us deeper into your presence. And Lord, we pray that we would be people who are hungry for more of you, that we would never lose our, our edge even as iron sharpens iron, you're keeping us sharp, Lord Jesus, for the work that you have for us. Let us hunger and thirst for righteousness, knowing that you will supply all that we need. Lord Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you, Lord, that, that you are greater than the enemy that we battle against. It's not even close. It's not even like a fair fight. Lord, if we call upon you, the enemy has to flee. He has to get out of here. So, Lord Jesus, we lean into you. Lord, we say we want nothing else but you, Lord Jesus. Let us meditate on you. Let us be confronted by your word this morning. Let us be challenged in every way. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's just-